wind of the Spirit that has been stirring up so many of us recently. God, God is always moving, always. There's never a not time where, where, uh, that, where he has not been doing something, okay? Often it's our own heart positions, our own attitudes that stand in the way from us realizing what God's doing. It's, it's not that he's not there or he's not close to you or he's not ministering to you or that the reality is that he's absolutely right there in your life, that he's not far away, even though you might feel like it at times. Has anybody in here ever felt like God's far away at times? The reality is, is that he hasn't changed. He's right there. The, the distance that you're feeling is actually unbelief. He redeemed you. He covenanted himself to you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places in him. You, you are as, as close as you will ever be. In fact, your very best day where you thought everything was clicking and going awesome and you felt the nearness of God, that day versus the worst day, the one where you felt like, man, I, I am lower than a snail, you know, and you... you Kicked the dog and ate your child like that, 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 that where the, the reality of your existence could not feel more distant from God. That reality is that the Lord was as close to you in that moment as he was on your best day. It didn't change. He purchased you, redeemed you. You belong to him. He doesn't leave or forsake. Is anybody alive today? Listen, the reality the reality that God is with you is so true, it is so real, and he is here. Last week, Pastor Jim talked to us about Thanksgiving and how through Thanksgiving, it's, it's like the gate. It's, it's what opens your eye to recognizing that God's there. When you enter in Thanksgiving, you realize that he's involved in your life, he's been involved in your life, and he is involved in your life. Our heart attitude is the one that makes us experience or feel the difference. It's not the reality. He's with you. Never leave you, never forsake you. If you came in here today and you feel distance from God, friends, all you have to do, like, change your mind. Change the way you're thinking about this. He loves you so much. He's right here. He's drawing near. He's drawing you to himself. He, he wants you to experience an encounter. He wants you to hear his voice this morning. So shift how you're perceiving. Shift how you're thinking about this. Receive and expect. Receive that Jesus' blood has paid for it all. Nothing more for you to add to that. Receive that reality. Believe the blood this morning. Believe that he made you perfect. Believe that he is with you. Believe that he adopted you. Don't, don't allow any other thoughts to creep in. You're not distant when you feel distant. Okay? Believe the blood. Okay, and now receive. Receive the reality that he is here and he wants to talk to you about some stuff. Receive the reality that the encounter with God is very present, that you don't have to leave the same way that you came in today. 
that every time we have a gathering, every, like this, every single time we have testimonies of people hearing from the Lord, their lives being touched or transformed. Every single time we have testimonies of people that got healed, set free, delivered. Every single time we have people coming to the Lord and receiving Christ for the first time or returning to him in repentance. Every single service. That means that today could be your day. Okay, so instead of kind of daring me to talk directly to you or daring me to get up in your stuff, how about we just expect that God's already up in your stuff and that we're just gonna talk about it. Are you alive? Okay. <laughs> the door's right there. This is your moment to bolt. If you're gonna get, you better get. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're here in the midst of us. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of your spirit. Holy Spirit, that you are upon us, in us, Lord, that you are working among us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we invite you, Lord, by your holy river. Would you come and flood this place, Lord? Cause the water level to go up. Lord, I thank you that revival is in the air, that revival is a present tense re uh, experience, Lord, that we're not chasing something. You are here in the midst of us. And so, Lord, we invite you. Would you encounter us today? Holy Spirit, we turn our ear to hear what you're saying. Lord, I pray that you would cause hearts to become sensitive, not hardened, but sensitive, Lord, to your prompting, to your leading. Lord, I thank you that the nearness of your kindness, your love, oh Lord, that it would, it would touch the wounded or the broken, those who are just really needing your comfort today. Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm them with your goodness today? Lord, be near be near to the brokenhearted, Lord. God, be near to those who are struggling today. And Lord, I thank you also that you are the victorious one. That you're the one who stands in the midst of us and declares that the battle belongs to the Lord and that, that the, the warfare that we experience and we feel, the tensions, that those things, Lord, you're battling on our behalf. We can, we can just rest and be a child of God today. So Lord, I pray for a spirit of revelation that people would see you better today, Lord. People would experience you. I pray, God, for wisdom, that hearts would be awakened with purpose, that we would know what to do because of what you're saying to us and doing in us, Lord. I thank you for that, that we would be transformed and the world around us would be transformed. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. If you agree to that, you said, amen. amen. There is, um, there's a story I've told many times and um, uh, it's a testimony. It's an experience that I had several years ago, and I'm going to touch on it today. Um, so some of you might have heard this before, but uh, hang with me because we're, we're, we're going in a new direction. Um, several years back, we're talking uh, uh, 14, 15 years ago, I was a part of a prayer group. And this prayer group uh, met, it's called the Dakota County Intercessors. And uh, they, we, we met over at what was uh, Mount Olivet Assembly of God in Apple Valley there. And about monthly, we would get together to pray and to seek the Lord. And, um, and, and they needed someone to lead worship. And so I offered my services and became the worship leader for this prayer group. Uh, it was an amazing time. Just connection, learning, and hearing from the hearts of people that have been, uh, you know, 
praying and standing in the gap for this region for years. And, and so serving them in that capacity. And one evening, uh, we had worship, and then there was going to be a speaker. There's going to be someone that was going to talk to us, share with us a vision for transformation in our area. And, uh, and so I finished worship, and it's a little bit different than what we had normally done. Normally, we go in and straight into prayer, but instead, we're going to hear somebody. And so I went and I sat in the back of the room, and I was sitting up on a table that was against the wall, right? And I'm leaning kind of back there, and, and I'm watching this thing unfold. And this, this man begins to share a vision about how God wants to transform like communities and cities and how he's going to weave together the generations and God's going to do a work amongst the young people. And this vision was awesome. I, you know, it was really powerful. And I'm listening to it. And I, I, I had this kind of moment of clarity where this person is talking about all the young people who are going to be transformed and God's going to do a work amongst the young people. And, and I'm hearing the words and I looked around the room and there was lots of blue hair. Not dyed blue like a punk rocker, blue because of the, the reality of time had come upon this group, right? And, and, and we weren't talking to the younger generation, we were talking about them, and there was no one in the room except for me, basically, representing the younger generation. I was about 27 years old at the time. And, and I was sitting there, and when I'm hearing the vision, I became skeptical, and my heart began to scoff. It was kind of an ugly moment for me. And what came out of me was this. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, basically, this is ridiculous. Like, there is no way this group of people are going to be able to accomplish this vision. And I heard in, like a, in my, my heart, in that moment, I said this in my heart. This ugly thing came up out of my heart. And immediately, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're right, son. They will not be able to accomplish this work without you. And in that moment, I felt this like both a, yeah, you know, like get on your high horse for a moment. Like, you're so right. I'm right. You know, has God ever agreed with you about something? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had God agree with you about something where, where, you know, like you're right. And he's like affirming that in you. Oh yeah, you're right. Hmm. Yeah, see, everyone's laughing because that's the moment you know that the spanking's about to come. Okay, there's never been a point in your life, never, there never has been and there never will be where you're right and God's wrong. Where you are instructing the Lord in anything. That's not gonna happen, it hasn't happened, it won't happen, okay? And so if you ever feel like, yeah, I got one, I'm right, you know that the Lord's about to correct you and that's exactly what happened. He said, you're right, son, they will not be able to accomplish this without you. And then in that moment, he said, and you will not be able to accomplish all that I've commanded you to do without them. And and my eyes were opened, and I had uh, an open vision. I had a vision. I was seeing it as clearly as I see you. From the floor to the ceiling in this chapel, there was a pile of gold coins stacked there in the middle of the room amongst this other generation. And I knew that this is the inheritance of a previous generation. And that that inheritance will go to the grave with them unless a bridge is built between the generations. I knew that that inheritance, I needed it in my life in order to get after the stuff that God has called me to. 
and I could see that they were going to need, if they're going to finish their race well, that they were going to need the partnership of the younger generation. The young and the old running together. Not separate, not different calls, same call, same race, different leg of the race, but same race. Today, I'm going to give us some instruction. There's going to be prophetic utterance. It's going to be a, a big picture attempt to paint the, the map for you so that you can see, have a sense of maybe where we're at in history. I'm not going to go too big, so hopefully I won't leave you, but leave you behind. So, but try to hang with me. As we see the bigger picture, we're going to recognize where we fit in that. And part of the assignment that you and I have in this generation that is linked powerfully to what God wants to do in the next generation. Okay, there have been times in history where the generations break down, where what God's done in a previous generation doesn't get passed on to the next, and as a result, there's significant problems that take place, evil that takes place, uh, struggle that was unnecessary takes place. But think, let's just think Bible for a moment. It's safe to talk about the Bible. I won't talk about you yet. We're good. Okay? And when I do talk about you, it'll be about your neighbor, not you, so you don't got to worry about it. Okay? <clears throat> we have moments in time in is Israel's history that we can watch where we see the generations working together. And when the generations partner together, great things take place. When that breakdown happens, where one generation walked with the Lord and the next one doesn't, something happened in between there. It doesn't, it's not just a, a freak accident. No, there was something that took place that separates the generations. This is what we're after today, is that you would see and recognize that. But when we see generations work together, there's an acceleration. The, the work that God did in one generation, it's often prophetic. God speaks to them, gives them a promise. It's Abraham. God says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. Through the, the world's going to be blessed through you. You know, God gives them a glimpse of the big picture and helps them to see how important he, one person, is in the big picture. Right? Isn't that amazing how the Holy Spirit does that, by the way? Don't you love how God makes you feel so important? He does. If you get pulled up next to somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, they are going to encourage the socks off of you to where you feel, man, I'm something. Right? If someone prophesies, listen, if they're prophesying by the Spirit of God, you're going to walk away going, yeah, man, I'm shiny. Look at me. Woo. Okay, and the reason is because prophecy reveals the glory you're falling short of. It shows you the picture of who you're supposed to be. It helps convict you of the better man, the better woman you're called to be. You know, and that's how God sees you. He, he's calling you into it. He already determined that's who you are. And so now, you, you know, you got some stuff to deal with and walk this out. But man, you're awesome. Okay, when Holy Spirit is ministering in you, he'll talk to you about your destiny and your future. And you'll have a sense of God's glory resting in your temple, who you are, and the calling that's on your life. Has anyone ever had this happen? 
Okay, here's the deal though, right? Because we all know somebody. Again, it's not you. It's the person sitting next to you or the guy down the row or something, okay? It ain't you. But there have been times where if you feel self-important and the world begins to revolve around you, that it transitions from being a blessing to the body to you being a sociopath we want to avoid. If every prophetic word is about you, there's a problem. It's not. It's not all about you. Are you, right? No, God's got to convince you that you're awesome and you need to step into your destiny, but that destiny is in service to others. It's not unto you, right? Okay. Young people, take notes. Here we go, okay? This reality, though, it's, it's true. God is determined from, from the very beginning that, that there is a glory that is to rest on your life. You were created with purpose, truly. This is uh, Isaiah 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. Now, this is how God works. He determines how it's going to turn out before he starts it. The end from the beginning. That's not how we work. We start someplace and then we work towards an end. It's not how God works. God goes, yeah, it's going to end like this, and so now I'll set it in motion. And the ending is filled with glory. The ending has predestined you to be glorious. God won't share his glory with any other. It's a good thing you're not any other. You're his bride, you're his child, you're part of this family, and you're called to be glorious. Okay, but if you become too convinced of that, don't worry, the Minnesota nice thing will pull you down, okay? <laughs> don't stick your head above us too much, right? Well, whack it. <laughs> the, un, the unwritten uh, silent code that kills Minnesotans, right? That's, we'll get into that some other day, but... Culture of greatness is difficult for people, right? We have a hard time believing that God really called you to be great, but he did. He predetermined that you would be, that you're supposed to be filled with glory. His body is supposed to be filled with glory. We're supposed to become the fullness of the stature of Christ himself. Like that's our goal, not some lesser version, but that we would be co-heirs, that we would be raised up and like Jesus. That mark of God on your life has predetermined that everything that takes place in your life, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, that even evil that's been done towards you, God marked your life with his weighty glory so that and the weight of it's like gravity. It's pulling you towards this reality. So that every situation in your life and every, every choice and every outcome, it's all being moved towards that end. So that even when someone attempts to do evil towards you, God causes it to work for good. He doesn't even need to actively be involved in the situation. His glory is predetermined. It's moving you towards good. He already assigned the win to you. You win. 
Okay, just say it out loud. I win. Okay, I win. I'm a winner. I win. I, my children and I play a game sometimes. It's called Dad Wins. <laughs> Let's play this game. I win. <laughs> Glory. He's predestined you. He marked you. Things will turn out like that. Doesn't mean we don't go through stuff. It's difficult sometimes. But the transition, God is a generational God. You got to hear this big picture, not just about you. When you think only about you, you get caught up in like, well, that situation wasn't good. Well, let's take a larger view and let's look at the bigger picture. Is God involved in your life? Is he moving you towards his goodness? Yeah, he sure is. Big picture is this. God is a generational God. He starts a work in one generation, has determined that it will create this outcome, it will be glorious, and then he causes generation after generation after generation to be moving towards this glorious outcome. He starts in one generation and he completes it in another and it is by design that he does that. You won't see God starting something in one generation and completing it in one generation. Doesn't happen, it's not who he is. It didn't start with you and it won't end with you. Doesn't that make you feel good? Right? It's not about you. But we have a part to play. There's a baton to carry. When God called Elijah, the prophet, God anointed him and used him powerfully in his generation. Miracles came from his life. He turned the nation back to serve God. It was a powerful expression. Elijah had a spiritual son. Does anybody know his name? Elisha. Right? Elijah, Elisha. If you're new to Christianity and you hear people throwing these terms around, they're not interchangeable. They're two different people. Elisha, Elijah. One was hairy, one was bald. Okay? <laughs> when... <laughs> Sorry. When Elijah walked this earth, he walked with God, the power of God was expressed, the anointing of God, he ran his race. God connected him with a young man named Elisha. And Elisha began to serve Elijah. And over the course of Elijah's life, Elisha was there for a lot of it, serving him. He washed Elijah's hands. It wasn't a glorious job. He served the man of God. And at the end of Elijah's life, God is going to take Elijah home. And so Elijah asks his servant, Elisha, he says, what do you want? Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you walked in. I want more. I want what you got, and I want to run my own race. I don't want to start off at ground zero. I want to start on your shoulders and keep running. Right? Listen, I... I we planted this church 15 years ago, okay? Uh, it started in a home. In fact, I think I see Mark Parr sitting right there. This is the home in which the house church started. Mark, would you just wave real quick? Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. I just surprised you like that. But it's, it's real, and this story is, is a real one, and we tell it often. But the house church started 15 years ago in an environment, a home environment. But can I tell you that it didn't start with me? Are you kidding? My father's sitting in the front row here who pastored for 30 years before I ever even began to start. And when we went to start, who do you think I was pulling on? Who do you think I'm asking questions of? Who do you think... Why would I do that? I remember my first marriage that I had to perform, the first wedding. Listen, there is nothing that will make a young preacher sweat more than an official event you can't screw up. You should not screw this up. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what do I do? And I call my dad and I said, dad, what do I do? And he just rattled off to me, this, 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 this. Took the notes, performed the wedding. They're still married today, it went good, okay? practical example of I don't have to start over. I don't have to make this stuff up. We're starting where someone else left off. Are you with me? And my dad's still running, and so there's still a baton to be passed. But here we are. Elijah runs his race, and he's got the anointing, and he has a servant named Elisha. And Elijah gets taken from Elisha. And in that transition, the mantle, the role, the ministry falls to Elisha. Elisha picks it up, and now he's going to run his race. And it says that Elisha had double the amount of miracles. Elisha does quite a bit of things his own race. You know, and he's the man of God and whatever. Does anybody know Elisha's servant's name? Who's the next guy in line? Who is the one that took it after him? There wasn't one. His name was Gehazi. And Gehazi had the opportunity to multiply in the third generation what God had done in the first two. But something happened. There was a transition. There was a failure of the test. Okay, if you fail the test, sometimes it means we move forward without you. I wish that there were no consequences in life. There are. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Listen, the grace of God... The grace of God, his mercies are new every day. You get to start over with him, but it doesn't mean that that opportunity that you just blew comes back. doesn't mean that. No, no, the race keeps going. You might have another opportunity. Praise God for that. But when you burn a bridge, it's burned. There's consequences for choices. <laughs> okay. This is why you should listen to me today. Okay. <laughs> when Elisha goes to pass the mantle, Gehazi isn't ready. Gehazi went for the money. Gehazi wanted to get paid. Gehazi went and asked for, when Elisha said, nope, we don't take anything from this type of person, Gehazi went, ah, yes we do. <laughs> no, 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 we can make a website. We get paid for this, right? Right, crypto.com, just pay me in Bitcoin. No one will know. Except for Elisha knew, the Lord knew. And Gehazi gets busted, and you never hear from him again. Do you know what Gehazi's name meant? It meant Valley of the Visionary. What kind of explosion was going to take place in the third generation of the anointing that rested on his life? He was called destiny-wise for this purpose, and he failed the test, and as a result, that generation gets passed off, and great evil takes place in the land. It's a bummer. There's stories throughout Israel's history of these kind of things happening where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jacob had a brother, Esau. What did Esau do? Despised the birthright. 
ends up without the promise of God in his life. Why? He's, from the, he's cut of the same cloth, y'all. He's the older son. Should have gone to him. But in his heart, he failed the test. Okay. There is a multiplication factor through the generations that God wants to release. And when it comes to passing that baton, it needs to be passed in a way that the next generation gets to run their race. But if it gets dropped, often there are great consequences and the devil comes roaring in to bring destruction to that generation. Now, we're going to pick up a story. We're going to look at this because there is this moment in time where we see a decision by a generation that prevents them from stepping into promise, even though it belonged to them. It was theirs to steward, but because they decided something, because they failed God's test, it moved on to the next generation. Now, that is not who you are. You're not going to fail the test. You are called of God, and we have a role in this hour of history, and we're rising up to take it, but it's why we're talking today. Okay? Generation to generation, God starts in one and he completes in another. He already determines how it's going to turn out, but often it's beyond us. Often it's beyond us. If you have a Bible, would you open to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10? I'm not sure I gave that one to you guys, sorry. Let me just read it for you. Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. You shall not worship, and speaking of idols, idols or serve them, other gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. In other words, sin has a consequence in the generations too. It's not just godliness. Sin does too. Some would say, well, no, what Christ did, it nullifies all that. Uh, the problem is, is that you actually see this process playing out over and over and over. And you and I are called to live in a different plane, but the consequences are very real in this world. You get one shot at this, one life to live. But God shows loving kindness to thousands, thousands of generations, to those who keep his commandments. Listen. In culture throughout the generations, starting with Adam all the way till the present day, we can see times in history where demons have sowed lies into culture. Demonic influence has created ideas like, for instance, color of skin somehow plays into call of God. color of skin somehow plays into nationalistic identity and there are like preordained glories that nations are to walk in and since you're of another race or another color then you are of a lesser. These kind of ideas have been sown into culture through years and years of history. Demonic ideas have cost and brought destruction to many and is hindered and limited. And you can see how race and how lies have interwoven with pain and destruction of many kinds. Anybody alive? Can you see that? 
wag your head at me even if you don't want to open your mouth, okay? Let me know. Otherwise, I'm, I, can, I can preach, let me tell you, especially on this message. I got at least until 3 o'clock. So if you want me to finish this message, you got to tell me that you're hearing me, all right? Okay, this is an example. There are many examples of destruction that has happened because a lie was sown into a culture and people believed it and then we chose actions based around those lies. Okay, we see the destruction within cultures through years. Now, how does God take a sin, an iniquity that was sown in a generation that's become a part of fabric of society and you can see all the consequences that play out. How does God remove the works of the devil and destroy the works of the devil when it's been woven into culture. I get personal sin. I get like, Jesus, please forgive me. He touches me. He touches me. Like personal transformation. I get that. That's easy. Cultural, how about? Systemic, how about? How does God do this? It is from generation to generation. The same way that we see sin and iniquity sown in, God in his sovereignty already chose that every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every tongue and dialect would stand before the throne one day in worship to the king. He already determined that holistically the bride of Christ is not one color. Praise Jesus. He already determined this and now we have to work it out within the generations, okay? So the Lord released the solution for the race problem before the race problem became a race problem. He preordained the solution far before the devil had the idea to sow the iniquity. God's so far ahead of the devil in every way. I mean, God is like light years ahead of Lucifer. Like there is Luciferian thought, evil thought. The, the, the Lord, and from the beginning, already determined solutions before there was a problem. He knows how to do this, and he sowed the solutions into the generations and has been working on this far before it came, became a problem. Now, if you believe that, then it becomes the glory of you and I to discover what God hid for us. That God hid solutions already for us and that those of us, you and I, who will search after them, search the matter out, will discover the glory of God hidden and have solutions to present within time. Are, my, are you okay? You following me here? Okay, here's the deal. Evil is sown in a generation. Takes three or four generations to come to fruition, to come to a fruitfulness, and then destruction begins to take place. Bad stuff. God already knew the need, put the solution in a previous generation, before the, the sin became a problem, sowed the solution, and generation to generation, he has been generating the solution for the problem you now face. But the solution for the problem you now face is hidden in the testimony of what God has done in a generation before you. In other words, he gave you the key and gives you the opportunity to discover the key before you even know you have a problem. You come to me and you say, Pastor Jamie, I have this problem. Would you please tell me what to do? And I'm going to say to you, you already have the key. God already gave it to you. Wait, what? How do I? No, no, no. He already gave you the solution. 
It's hidden around you. It's hidden in a previous generation. It's, maybe it's just a personal testimony, something God did in your life six months ago. But he already gave you the solution. It's in your hand. This is how God works. Man, I, the way that I'm preaching to you this morning, you should be a lot more happy than you are right now. So from generation to generation, though, this solution moves forward, kingdom solutions. And when there is advancement and then one generation refuses or is unable to pick up the baton or they fail the test or whatever reason, there's a gap where the inheritance falls to the ground. That's where you see the, the devil, that's where you see demonic stuff rage. That's where you see great destructive things come upon culture. That's where you see wars like we're seeing right now. This rage that comes in. Why? Because God was already doing a work in Ukraine. The devil can't hang around and wait for it to be completed. He's overplaying his hand, y'all. Overplaying his hand. 25 years Ukraine's been in revival before this. God already released the solution in that land far before the problem became a problem. Man, I know friends who held stadium events in the nation of Ukraine where they were seeing waves of revival touching that land. Right now, you go out into the city streets, you see the videos of it. People are out there worshiping in city centers. What do you think that came from? God released the solution far before the problem became the problem. It's the same thing he does in your life. God's a genius, by the way. Mm, mm-mm. The breakdown between generations is where you see the devil try to gain ground again. Elisha goes to the grave without passing off the mantle to someone else. We know that because there's a little conflict around them. Somebody dies and they take the body of the soldier that died and they throw him into Elisha's tomb. And the body of this dead soldier touches the bones of Elisha and immediately pops back to life and is resurrected. That tells you it didn't get passed on. It remained. It remained for a different generation to pick it up. It didn't go away. It's still sitting there. I wonder how many solutions God's released in history that nobody bothered to honor or to value and missed it at the time, but are still sitting there as solutions for you to pick up right now. I'm trying to judge if you're bored or if you're thinking. Thanks, Austin. I'm going to appreciate you today. This is, this is Exodus 17. I don't know what y'all are getting excited about. I'm talking to you anymore. Exodus 17. This is a, this, this story I want to hang out until the end here. This is where we're going to camp. Exodus 17. All the congregations of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord. And they camped at whatever that is. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we can drink. Moses said to them, Why are you talking to me about this? Why do you test the Lord? 
The people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What should I do with this people? A little more, and they're going to stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of all the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord there, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, I've talked in a previous sermon about this. This is months ago, though, so I'll just touch on it real quick. Okay? The current situation is that Israel, this nation, had been in slavery for 400 years. It's a bad time. They get delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, miraculously. I mean powerfully miraculously. The signs and wonders that take place are ridiculous. If you go back and read them, they're really, really like, wow. Like gnats and more gnats, frogs and more frogs, turn the water to blood, like wowza. You know, I, if we were doing that kind of stuff here, we'd be on the news, but not in a good way, you know? Like... You've been at that church where they drink blood? Yes, actually. This experience of God's sovereign power being demonstrated in judging Egypt should have positioned the mind of the Israelites to recognize that God is with them. Like God's with them. They journey out in the wilderness Remember, they have had an ocean divide in front of them, right? They, they watched an army get destroyed in front of them. I, there's so many miracles that are just like saying, God is with you, okay? And they're in this situation where they're going to die of thirst. They need water. They're in the wilderness. If you've ever been this thirsty, it's a problem. Like if you don't have water, there's no hope of water. That's a bad deal. And so here they are without water. They need water. And they begin to grumble against Moses, and they're asking the question, is God even among us? Now, can I just pause for a moment? This generation of people who did this are the same generation of people who did not get to enter into the promised land. It actually says concerning them that God despised that generation. He tested them, they failed the test, and he despised them. What was the failure of the test? It's this. It's not just like, oh, there are giants in the land and we don't want to cross in. No, 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 it's this. It's that when God does something powerful in their lives and now they face the next test, they were unable to believe that God would come through for them. The testimony of what God had done in his goodness was not speaking to them in their current issue. They were not educated by God's goodness. They, re they refused to receive it. And so they're testing God. They're saying, is God even among us? 
And the Lord sees this as this is rebellion and they're refusing to pick up the mantle. They're refusing to take the baton. The testimony of God's goodness in the past was supposed to set them up right in this moment to receive water from God. If they translated it correctly, instead of complaining to Moses, they would have gone to God and said, Lord, we need water, and God would have provided, and it would have been done. Simple. You're with us, God. Please provide water. It's done. When you face a crisis and you need a miracle right now, some of you do. Some of you need a miracle right now. Can I tell you your biggest, the, the, the thing that opposes you, the thing that threatens you seeing God move in this moment is that you forgot what he just did for you. You lost sight of it, you forgot. Your memory loss is a problem. It's a problem, it's standing in the way. Because the solution was given to you in a previous season and you need to now utilize the solution and you're refusing to do so, so you're missing it. Now, God's the God of mercy, God loves you, he's gonna make sure you get water. Boom, look at that, water for Israel. But that generation missed it and they don't get to enter into promise. Don't fail the test. Don't fail your test. Remember what God's done for you and be thankful. This is Jim's sermon from last week. Thanksgiving is the key to enter into victory. Take what God's done in the past and bring it present through Thanksgiving. You'll release the solution, right, for what you need right now. Okay, now let's go on with the story. Verse 8. Amalek came and fought against Israel. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men and go out for us. Fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I'll station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did, and Moses told him, uh, as Moses told him, and fought against Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one side and on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Okay. Israel discovers water. The enemy comes immediately to try to take it from them. Of course, it's a wilderness country. It's very easy to see why they would do that. Right? Water is discovered. A warring nation is going to come and try to take the water. That's the natural side of things. Consequence. Spiritual side of things is this, is that the goodness of God was just demonstrated to Israel and they're beginning to believe that God's with them. That's a problem spiritually. The enemy tries to come in and steal what God's goodness had given to you. 
Look at the situation in your own life. Every time God is good to you, every time he shows up and shows out, every time that the Lord brings provision, I promise you, I guarantee that the enemy is right there trying to discredit what God has done. Every time. So you go to the doctor, you get a good report from the doctor, and you go home and you start feeling sick again. Hmm. Which you're going to believe. Right? You, the Lord says, you're healed. You feel good. You feel healed. Woo! And then there, you have a bad day. And on your bad day, do you decide that God didn't? See, the war is in your confidence. The war is in believing the testimony, believing the goodness of God. Now, take it out of health. Move it into any other situation in your life. Every time there's an advancement, I'm telling you, the enemy tries to come in and steal it from you. You get breakthrough in a relationship, and there the conflict starts up again. Do you believe that the new conflict is all, we throw it all out, I guess we have to start all the way over? Or is the victory sure? Do you... The enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy the goodness that God demonstrates in your life. So this situation is this. Moses says to Joshua, Joshua stands for the next generation. Joshua is the next generation leader. Moses is the old guy. Joshua is the young guy. Moses says to Joshua, you need to raise up your men and you go fight the battle for us. Next generation has to face their own battles. They got to get their own victories. They need to recognize that God is with them too. But Moses says to Joshua, but listen, I am going to go up on that hill where we just got provision from. I'm going to go stand on our current testimony. God brought provision. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to stand and I'm going to take the rod of God with me and I'm going to lift it up for you. See, the rod of God is the testimony of God's goodness in Israel's history. It's the rod that he stretched over the sea and the ocean parts. It's the rod that struck the Nile, it says, and the, the results all happen. Israel is delivered and it's through the rod of God. The rod of God represents the testimony of what God has done in their history. So Moses says to Joshua, I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim to you our prophetic history that God is good, that he's always been good to us, that he is faithful to us, and I'm going to stand on our current testimony, what God just did, and when I lift it up to you, you're going to win. And it says every time he put it down, Joshua began to lose. As a generation who's seen the goodness of God, it is our job to proclaim it to the next generation until they have their own encounter with this goodness. Until, see, once your kids have their own encounter with God, it's over. God's got them. Okay? But until they have their own encounter with God, until they've faced their own battle and won their own victory and seen God's goodness in their life, until that happens, it's your job, older generation, it is our job to proclaim that God is real and that he is faithful. He, what he's done before, he'll do again. It's our job to stand on the testimony and proclaim it to them until they get victory. And, and when we do that, it empowers the next generation to believe, to go for it, to trust that God's with them. Do you see this? 
And then Moses says, write it down and tell Joshua. Give it to him in a little book so that when I'm gone and I don't have this rod hanging in my hand anymore, right, that Joshua will have his own to carry around. So that when he goes into the land of promise, he's got to face all those battles alone. He'll have a book that said, yeah, but God's with me the same way he's with Moses. Do you? Moses' hands got a little tired, didn't they? Yeah, you know why? Because it gets really old telling the same old testimonies over and over and over and over and over. Listen, you know how many times I've told the story of our church's formation? You know how many times I've done that? Hundreds of times. I've repeated myself over and over and over. And the reason that I do that, and I will continue to repeat the story of our church and all the divine provision and how God has stepped in and how all this has happened. Why am I going to do that? I will do that until I die because I know that as I raise up the testimony of what God's done, that it will inspire the hearts of another generation to believe that God will be with them. I think, a th I think there should be a thousand more house churches. I think that it's absolutely possible for us to fill the world, a church on every continent. Why? Because we're holding up the rod of God and some kid's going to get inspired and they're going to go do it. And the scripture says that Moses said concerning the Lord, he said, ah, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. That's what we'll call this place, Jehovah Nissi. God is my banner. Do you know what a banner was? A banner is the standard. It's a staff. It's the thing that marks where the battle line is. See, the war lines would be drawn, and the armies are across from each other, and we're going to advance, and there's a standard bearer who goes across the field of battle, and that standard marks where the armies have advanced to or where they've retreated to. You see this? And so the standard has to be lifted up for the armies of God to know where the battle is. And so Moses says concerning this situation, see, and then as the battle rages on, that standard is lifted up. And whenever the standard is lifted up, the army knows, oh, we need to rally to this place to war here. Why? Because this is where the battle line is. This is where the fight is. If the king's in trouble, we throw the standard up. Rally to the king. Why? So that the king doesn't get killed in this battle. We raise up the standard. We go, this is where the battle line is drawn. And when you do that, the rally comes. Okay, it secures the victory. Are you with me here? Moses says, ha, you're going to get this. I can see it. Some of you already got it, but whoo. Moses goes up on the mountain, he lifts up the rod of God, and he goes, the Lord is my banner. See, the scriptures say that the testimony of Jesus, that angels of heaven war and serve and minister to those who possess and carry the testimony of Jesus, That when you raise up the testimony of Jesus, it prophesies God did it in my life and he will do it again. And you raise up the standard and what happens? The angels of heaven go, oh, there's the battle line. Let's go. Woo! And spiritual advancement begins to happen. Why? Because the testimony of Christ was proclaimed 
The testimony was lifted up. The Lord, my banner, is lifted up. And when you lift up the banner of the Lord, it tells us, it informs us the victory that Jesus is about to have. <laughs> when you declare, when you refuse to forget you possess the keys for the battle that the next generation is in. You, you possess the victory. You, older generation. You, are, you have been given the victory in your generation. You've seen God do stuff. But this next generation, they're in the thick of it. Okay? And they are needing what you have to encourage, strengthen, and help them to realize their own victory. When we see a generation with so much opportunity and so much potential, I mean, this generation that's coming, look at all the crisis moments that are raising up in the planet right now. I mean, opportunities to see God show up and show out. <sighs> opportunities to see culture. I mean, the, the battle of culture is raging in spots. And we've seen multiple generations working on the same problem, and it's advanced to a point. We, we've seen the sacrifice of previous generations make sure that race is not something that we're believing the lie about. We, we've seen sacrifices in previous generations. But what happens when there's a moment in time that forces a crisis and all the thought process gets thrown out and the memory, the long memory, gets chucked out in lieu of a current, I'm thirsty. Do you see how the crisis point could prevent the banner from being picked up by the next generation? See, you and I have a duty. We have a responsibility to, like Moses, to proclaim, no, 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 see it through. Recognize the goodness of God. Look at the big picture, not just your moment. Your moment is not the whole picture. God is at work in this. We are seeing generational evil come to the surface and being removed out of our planet. Don't throw it away right now because you're freaked out and mad about the reality that you're thirsty. Church. God loves our nation. Loves our people, who we are. There's promise. Do you think in a moment of crisis that we should chuck out the generational progress because we're ticked off or we are resenting someone you didn't want to get into office, get into office? Do you realize that the reason the Lord despised the generation and refused to let them enter into promise. It's because they forgot 
the faithfulness of God in the previous generations. Man, I don't know how to get up on your stuff anymore, but I can tell you that your personal stuff is the same way. The Lord's faithful and he will see you through. The provision is there. It's going to require honor. You've got to build a bridge towards the previous generations. Value and honor what God's done in previous generations. I'm going to hit more on this next week. Don't worry. We're, we're going to, there is pay dirt underneath this thing. We're going to dig at it until we get it. Okay? But what you need to walk away with today is this. Do not fear because of current crisis. That's the cry of like, I'm thirsty. I need water now. I want an Oompa Loompa now, Daddy. <laughs> right? Yeah, don't be that girl, okay? You, you and I need to have a longer memory. See the bigger picture. Recognize that God's at work. That he always reaches the solution far before the problem. Admit that he is the answer. Like, and so in this moment, to enter into thanksgiving, like Jim preached to us last week. Enter into thanksgiving. Recognize what God's doing. Don't miss it. Embrace it. In that, there will be grace to face whatever the situation is. Well, he's already determined we're going to be victorious. We just got to walk it through. Don't freak out and miss it. There's a bigger, there's a much bigger story than just your story or your particular issue. I might not have touched your issue today. We'll get there next week. But, okay, but there's a, there's a bigger, there's more at foot than just the micro. The Lord is at work in our day, y'all. There's a present tense revival in our day. We, we are those who's, who remember. If if you have not yet, young people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in this moment right now, but I, I, want us, I want you to recognize something. There is inheritance in the generations that have gone before you. There's solutions and there's grace that are available. There are mantles of ministry and God graces that, for whatever reason, fell to the ground instead of getting picked up by the next generation. And, and there is plenty of that opportunity around us where you could value and you could care, you're probably sitting next to some gold mines in people where their testimony of what God's done in their life, it might be the solution that you're needing. So every time we come together, this is what I want us to do. I want you to have a testimony to share. I want you to get, like Moses, I want you to get sick and tired of having to lift up your testimony and talk about it. I want, like, I want you to have to have told it so many times that you're just like, oh, come on. But I'm telling you, it's, it's the key to victory. You need to hold up your story. So every time you get around a young person, you should tell them why God's good. Every time you get around friends, you should talk about the goodness of God. You should talk about testimonies. What did Jesus do? Not just lately, but what has he done in your life? When you go to the mall and you bump into strangers, listen, I don't know what their question is, but I know that the answer is the goodness of God. When we arise and when we sleep, we should talk about what God's done. Proclaim it to the next generation. Last passage and we pray. This is Psalm 78, verse 4. We will not conceal from our children, but we will tell to the generation the praises of God, his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. 
For he established a testimony in Israel and appointed a law which he commanded our fathers that they should teach to their children that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should be, have their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his ways. There's kids in that next room. There's kids sitting around us. Multiple generations represented in this church. My heart's cry is that one generation would proclaim to another the goodness of God. Those kids that have encounters with God, why? Because you give them the opportunity to experience God the same way that he experienced in your life. So much stories to be told in this room. We should do that. Just stand to your feet today. Woo! Would you look at your neighbor and say, you got this. The Lord is your banner. You got this. <laughs> Just put a hand on someone's shoulder right next to you there. Just put a hand on their shoulder. I want you to pray that God's goodness would overwhelm their life, okay? We're going to pray for the person on our right right now, and then we'll pray for the person on our left afterwards, okay? So pray for the person on your right that the goodness of God would be seen in their life so powerfully in this day. If you're not standing next to somebody, just go ahead and pray to the person that's praying for you, okay? The goodness of God would be seen in their life, that they would know the goodness of God in the land of the living, that what he's done in your life, he would do it in theirs. Come on, just declare it. God, what you've done in my life, do it for them. Do it again, God. Lord, where they're facing a battle, Lord, we declare that your goodness, the testimony of Jesus would rise up in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Empower them, strengthen them, Lord. Sustain them, Jesus. All right, now would you pray for the person on your left? Lord, touch them with your goodness. Pour out in their life, Lord. Move powerfully in their life, Jesus. Let your kingdom come, your will be done, your goodness be seen in their lives, O oh Lord. God, we raise up the banner of your goodness over their life and we proclaim that they're gonna experience it. Victory, victory, victory. The keys and the solutions that they need, that the Lord is releasing it to them. Lord, do in their lives what you've done in mine. Bring increase, God, generation to generation. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for this, Lord. All right, now would you just put a hand on your own heart? I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person, Lord, and sustaining them, especially through this long talk. Lord, I pray, God, that you would heap grace upon grace to them that they would know you so wonderfully and powerfully in these days. Their lives truly, Lord, would go from glory to glory. God, I thank you for your promises over their life that they will see your goodness in the land of the living. And so I bless them today. May you know the Lord. May you know him truly. May you know him. May you be used so powerfully to see the next generation rise up in victory as well. I bless you today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's favor rest on you. May he be gracious to you and grant you his peace. And everyone who dared to agree with that said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? All right. God bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing week.